City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Actors on Performing Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. Welcome to our Working in the Theatre seminars. Today we're going to focus on acting. We'll be back in a short period of time to tell you a little more about the American Theatre Wing. But right now, let me turn you over to our panel and our moderator, President of the Rogers and Hammerstein Organization, Ted Chapin. Thank you and welcome to this seminar. Um, we have today uh, a, a panel of extraordinary performers with distinguished careers on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, all of whom are appearing currently in shows in New York. Uh, let me introduce the panel to you. Lynn Redgrave, currently appearing in The Importance of Being Earnest at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. You can each get it. Jonathan Price, currently in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Zoe Wanamaker, who's in the Lincoln Center Theater production of Clifford Odette's Awake and Sing. Eileen Atkins in Doubt. And Richard Griffiths in the Royal National Theater production of Alan Bennett's The History Boys. So welcome and thank you for doing this. I thought uh, any conversation that involves American and British theater invariably gets to a point of talking about audiences and how different they are and how similar they are. But I thought I'd ask Richard the, the first question because the History Boys has not only played lengthy run in, in London and is now in New York, but in between it's done a sort of odd out-of-town engagements in Sydney and Hong Kong and Auckland or somewhere? Wellington Museum. Wellington. How, how did it play, that British play, play in all those places? Well, it, was, it really was bizarre. Uh, Hong Kong was very strange because they had these big screens on either side of the stage with the text in, I believe, Mandarin, Chinese and English. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand why it was in English. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Surtitles like the operas. Yeah, yeah. And uh, apparently, the, 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 the couple of Chinese people I met at receptions afterwards said, "You know, the, the Mandarin's not very good." <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I have no idea. It's all—I mean, it's, it's Mandarin to me. And it was just very strange because we would do the show, and there'd be big. You know, this is a terrific line. This always gets a great, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and, uh, oh, there's a big laugh coming, keep going, keep going, keep going. And it was really tricky, you know, just timing. You time lines sometimes depend on, on the anticipation that there will be a laugh, so just hold back here. Let, you know, it's George Burns' advice, you know. Uh, what's the secret of, of comic timing? He says, I say something, they laugh, so I shut up. <laughs> and then when they quit laughing, I'll say something else. That's it. That's the whole thing. So you, you come to rely on this sometimes foolishly, you know, certainly if you're in China. And uh, you say the line that you rely on and nothing happens and suddenly you look like you've forgotten your lines. And it's not. It's because you're waiting for a laugh that is not ever going to come. You know, so that was tricky. 
Then in New Zealand, I thought, oh, we're all right now. These are English. This is like, they say of New Zealand, it's like England was 50 years ago. England was never like New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not even a thousand years. Well, maybe a thousand years ago. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, that was very strange as well, because there were modern things that we would say, although the play is set in the late 80s. And the audience is, do you know what that was? I didn't get that one at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and so that, that, that was another stuttering thing. Whereas uh, the, the audience that we felt closest, apart from our own home audience in London, is the one here on, on Broadway, which has produced the biggest buzz in the guys and uh, has produced the most focused, um, excited, bunch of uh, young actors um, I've seen for a long time, since, virtually since we started doing the play. Do you have to keep them in line here, the uh, actors? You, well, you do, but don't wave a finger. <laughs> <laughs> don't say you ought to do, don't actually, really the best way to, to keep them in line is just to shut up <laughs> and, 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 and do a, give, give an example, but don't complain to anybody because they are so vicious. <laughs> <laughs> the student, the, the boys. The boys, yeah. They'll stand there, they're, they're quicker, they're fine. We could take you down in. <laughs> so I don't even go there, you know. Discipline is something like, you know, with children at home, grandchildren and stuff, I say what I say, but I don't get heavy-handed with them because it ultimately always backfires. <laughs> we have a little clip of the History Boys. Let's, let's, uh, let's see what, uh, what, okay. what, what the professor is all about here. Let's look at the clip. Diffidence is surely to be encouraged. In an examination. They seem to have got hold of this notion that the stuff they do with you is off limits so far as the examination is concerned. Well, that's hardly surprising. I count exams, even for Oxford and Cambridge, as the enemy of education which isn't to say I don't regard education as the enemy of education too. However, if you think it'll help, I'll speak to them. Thanks, I appreciate it. And for what it's worth, I sympathize with these feelings about exams, but they're a fact of life. I'm sure you want them to do well, and well, the gobbits you've taught them might just tip the balance. What did you call them, gobbits? Is that what you think they are? Gobbits? Handy little quotes that can be trotted out to make a point? Gobbits. Codes, runes, spells, call them what you like. Do not call them gobbits. I just thought it would be useful. Oh, it would be useful. Every answer hung like a Christmas tree with the appropriate gobbits. Except that they're learned by heart. And that's where they belong. And like other components of the heart, they are not to be defiled by being trotted out to order. Right, so what are they meant to be storing them up for, these boys? Education isn't something for when you're old and grey and sitting by the fire. It's for now. The exam's next month. Yeah, right? And after the exam, I... life goes on! What if they don't pass the fire? Stop it. It's actually quite depressing to see that because I noticed two things. One of the, I'm right about cross-lighting stinks. <laughs> Because uh, you stand on the stage and you, you, the pair of us are sort of moving up and down. Yeah. I'm asking him, I've got to go upstairs, oh, I better keep downstairs, he's got another light again. All of that's going on, it's a waste of breath. And the other one is Stephen Campbell Moore looks very good on TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so, very good. I remember, I remember Paul Jessen once when he went to, uh, he, uh, I am telling a story. Yes. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, I, I want to ask you, because you, you certainly did Miss Saigon, the same production in London and, and New York, um, and then other shows you've done, different productions, the same part. What, what was it like with Miss Saigon, with the audiences? Were they different? Did they respond differently, or were they...? Um, 
Well, I have to say that the, uh, well, the Drury Lane audience was, because um, it's two and a quarter thousand people, and, uh, and it was such a huge event in London. It, was, uh, it didn't feel that much different to the response in New York. And in fact, I couldn't hear. I mean, it, it's a completely sung through musical, and the orchestra's playing all the time. And you can't always hear the, um, the music never stops. So you can't really hear the audience response. And it was only uh, when some kind person at the stage door gave me a bootlegged CD. He taped the show in New York, and he thought I might like to listen to it. And it was taped from the audience. So I could hear. I thought, ah, oh, I've been getting lost. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. All you heard was the big cheers and the, the applause, but the, the laughter that was going on, you... Yeah. Not aware. No. Amazing. But it was... Uh, but there is certainly an added, I think it's not, I mean, it's more to do with yourself, I suppose, the added excitement of uh, working on Broadway, it just feels a bit different. You, um, mm. There's a bit more of, you sense a more, more of a buzz in the theatre, but um, it's, probably, it's, it's probably just the same at home. Really. We're a little more reserved, I think. Any other thoughts about British audiences in America? I, I, I'd agree about the a little bit more reserved. Um, I don't actually perform that often in England, but um, I did. the last thing I did was Noises Off about three or four years ago, and we always knew when the audience was predominantly um, an American tourist audience because they behaved like Americans, which means <laughs> if they really liked it, they really let you know. And uh, not to not British audiences, but there is a reserve, uh, as we're all British-born people here. Um, no. There is a... No, you're not. No, American-born. <laughs> Sorry, so I got it all wrong. Yeah, of course, I, I know that. Um, there is a sort of, you know, well, let's just not get too excited here. We've paid our money. The seat's a bit narrow. We're really enjoying it. It was very good. And <laughs> just a bit, do you know? And then, but American audience, I love playing. I mean, I've really, in the last 30 years, I've played far more over here. And if they like it, they really like it. If they don't like it, they walk. And, and that, you know, the great thing is, nobody walked out today. I mean, you know you're doing a good job. Yeah, it's good. Wow. But I've, I've rarely finished a soliloquy in Shakespeare and had awesome shouted out. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, we've had that at the end of a couple of numbers. Awesome! <laughs> we've had a funny thing in... in in the importance of being honest in Los Angeles, where we would have a lot, we had a lot of students come. And at the moment when uh, we've finally discovered who, who Ernest Jack is, and Gwendolyn says, uh, is very suddenly very worried, she says, my own, but, but what own are you? And invariably they'd yell, cousins. So <laughs> 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 it, it was wonderful. And they were so right. Yeah, too, too smart. Yeah. I, I read somewhere, Eileen, that, that you had said, uh, that you wanted to do Doubt here, which and you replaced Cherry Jones, because it, it's a play that would never be done in London. Is that a misquote? Yes, it's a bit of a moot point at the moment altogether. Um, <laughs> yes, every English person who's come to see it, averagely, hasn't liked it. And um, I always seem to be in plays about sex. <laughs> and then you get in a very different <coughs> situation. Like the first play I did on Broadway, The Killing of Sister George, they were truly shocked, the audience then. Um, but the wonderful thing is, yes, the British not just reserved, they're embarrassed. Now in England, they were too embarrassed to make any noises of shock. 
but here they actually gasped. And the wonderful thing is, in doubt, they they gasp at the thought of what um, the priest might be doing to the boy. And I don't think the British would care a damn what the priest was doing to the boy. We don't have Catholic. We don't have uh, we don't have that many Catholics. Don't forget, we were the ones who became Protestants. Um, we're not overwhelmed with Catholic schools. We don't have. I mean, every time you come to the stage door, somebody says to me, "Oh, I had a teacher just like you." And um, I mean, the fun, I mean, I think it's huge fun, the difference in the audience. I find it much bigger than everybody else seems to find. Because, um, I mean, yesterday, somebody in the audience, when Ron was speaking to me and getting very angry with me, they shouted out, kill her, kill her. <laughs> <laughs> and they said it twice. And, and sometimes I get booed at the, at the curtain call, which I love. I mean, they take it. So you've done your job right. Yes, but they do take it much more seriously. Um, but we I, used to get that. I mean, I don't think it's, it's at times peculiar to America, but we used to, we used to get it in Liverpool when we were playing to audiences in the 70s, which were um, a less sophisticated, it certainly wasn't a London audience, but it was a less sophisticated audience that we were attracting into the theatre at the Everyman. And they would shout out, I mean, kill me was a, a shout that would go up, and it was again to do a Catholic and Protestant. Oh. And I was playing a, um, a Protestant figure in a John McGrath play who got beaten up by two thugs on stage, and there were nights of killing, killing, for real. Rosa, I didn't do the goat here. I never saw it here, but I did it in London. And from what I could gather, there were different, very different sensibilities here than in London, where the London audience was certainly less prepared to walk out and be shocked. Um, whereas I gather in New York, it was much more active. And <laughs> they didn't want to know it. It was a slightly more prudish view of it. But I, I found that the London response across the board with the goat was... Uh, they, um, it was a kind of it was a kind of an intellectual approach to it, and they uh, they appreciated appreciated for what it was beyond the fact that it was a man who was having an affair with a goat. <laughs> I found that quite interesting. They got the the metaphor better yeah. than people here. Yeah, we're good on metaphor. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, Zoe, you're in a, a new production here of a Clifford Odette's play, Lincoln Center, directed by an American. Um, so the, the, you, you've, this has been created here. Yes. Uh, how, how has it all come together and is, is the, the audiences are liking it, yes? Oh, yes, very much. I, it's it's um, the second time I've been directed by in, in, in America with an all-American cast, and uh, it was a completely new thing for me. It all started because um, Andre Bishop, who, who runs the Lincoln Center, has always wanted to do Awaken Sing and in some ways has wanted to, um, I think, bring Clifford Odette back to America in a way, because since the blacklisting, since his, his the trial, when he named names, he was sort of, he's never really been done on Broadway before, but since, strangely. And I think, um, it's just sort of given Cliff, it's just given Clifford Odette's a new airing, and it's quite interesting because the poetry and the language in it is so beautiful. Uh, well, not beautiful. Yes, it is. It's, it's it stunning, is. Stunning, stunningly, stunningly written. She's like French words. Yes, I mean, the audience go, oh! <laughs> and quite right, too. It's mm. major poetic force. Yeah. But it's also interesting because it's about the politics of, of 19th, in the 1930s, which were very, very strong. And that's another thing. It's quite interesting how 
that period was so important, and yet it was trodden and, and it's now negated. Uh, but it was a very powerful time. A lot of socialism, communism, and uh, liberalism was, was very important then. And the dreams and the hopes of Americans were very, very strong. And that's what it's, it hasn't lost its energy because of that. That's what's exciting about it. Well, we happen to have a little clip of it. <laughs> Why? Should we take a look at the, the clip of, of Zoe Wanamaker and Awake and Sing? Oh. Family needs for a rainy day. Times is getting worse. Prospect Avenue, Dawson, Beck Street. Every day, furniture's on the sidewalk. Forget it, Mom. Ralphie, I worked too hard all my years to be treated like dirt. It's no law that we should be stuck together like Siamese twins. Summer shoes you didn't have, skates you never had. But I bought a new dress every week. A lover I kept, Mr. Gigolo. Did I ever play a game of cards like Mrs. Marcus? Or were Bessie Berger's children always the cleanest on the block? Here, yeah, I'm not only the mother, but also the father. The first two years, I worked in a stocking factory for six dollars while Myron Berger went to law school. If I didn't worry about the family, who would? On the calendar, it's a different place. But here, without the dollar, you don't look the world in the eye. Talk from now to next year. This is life in America. Our dads were in a no debts together. That's right. Um, Sam Wanamaker and Michael Redgrave were in Winter Journey, which were, sometimes was called The Country Girl, sometimes Winter mm. Journey. I was yes. old enough to have seen it. It oh, was wonderful. My. It was yeah. one, one of those times that I remember very clearly. Mm. In the mm. Yes, because he directed, um, um, directed, and it was the first time that uh, um, England had seen a, a method actor. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And he sat in, and Dad sat in the audience, started the play, as the director of, of, uh, of the piece, playing the director. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and sat in the audience, and nobody had ever seen that before. That was 1950, yeah. blah. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember when it was. Yeah. Mm. Now, method acting is something which, which we hear about on, on this side of the pond. Is, is that something that's, that's anathema over there? Or? My, my dad, uh, Michael, actually was really the first British actor, I think, first, first British actor of renown to. Uh, very much embrace uh, Stanislavski and his book, which is still in print, The Actor's Ways and Means, is actually the, the clearest guide to Stanislavski that I've ever read. So, um, but, but generally people, I think there are loads of people who, who really do work in that way, it's just they don't identify it as that. Mm. And all that stuff about, I remember when I was a student at, uh, in Manchester, the terrible rows of people about the difference between emotional recall and stage technique, and I was on the—I I was in the minority party because I thought there was a place for technique, whereas everybody else seemed to think that what you had to do was use your guts and exhaust yourself and throw yourself into it every night. And I'd say, yeah, but what happens when you do a show for six months? You know, you can't just keep finding the, the, the emotion to murder somebody every night. I mean, please, be treacherous. what are you doing to your brain? Uh, you know, and, uh, and it, it was a terrible, you know, it was an unresolved argument because as students you never actually put to the test. You do 
two weeks at the Edinburgh Festival, that's about the height of a student's experience of doing a run of a play. Um, so, you know, it had to wait till we actually went out and, and worked in the, the business properly, that you suddenly find. That the technique is rather important. It is, it, but it is a way too. of working, which is, which is for some people, uh, I think, uh, it's, at least it's a, it's a when, if you get lost, if your instinct stops, if you're, mm. you know, that you have a way of finding out how to deal, to, to enrich, enliven. Oh, yeah, no, no, I understand. The piece that you're doing, and, and it's quite, yeah, the, the, the group of actors I'm working with, um, one actor has worked, worked with Stella Adler for six years, trained with Stella Adler. So that's, I mean, that's the whole, mm. that was part of the group theatre. So <clears throat> that was the legacy. And it's fascinating, you know, and there's another actor, actor who's got a book and who's writing everything down all the time, all the time, all the time. It's just fascinating how other people work. And then it makes me feel guilty. I, so, so I got a book. <laughs> so I thought I'd start writing books. Oh, you mean he's writing notes to himself? Writing notes to themselves. Oh, right, yeah. Doing character stuff. And I find when, when that happens, what tends to happen is that that person you're working with tends more often than not to internalise and stops working with the other actor. Uh, yes. And right. that's my, if I have a process at all, it's about... <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's, we've all worked together. <laughs> So you know how I work, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have an instinctive way of working. I generally, um, if I'm working on a text like The Goat or an intense text, not necessarily a musical, I, I want to sit around a table for two weeks with the actors, and we and it's sort it's most it's text based, and oh, I yeah. I relate what happens in the text to me, and I don't I don't text them. I don't. You'll see many, many, uh, lots of my scripts don't have a single mark on. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm in the in the set, I, I'm a bit confused about it in a way, but I, uh, it works for me. Mm. But when I was here in the 70s, I went and watched Lee Strasberg teach, and uh, and he he would have his open crit sessions on the Friday. And I have to say, I didn't take to the man at all. I found him. Uh, a bully, and maybe I shouldn't say this, recording for life. And I found it all about him, and I found mm -hmm. that very uh, difficult to watch. And it was I like watched, his show. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. the crit session. And also, um, I watched him teach at the school, and um, he seemed to enjoy bullying people into an emotional response. They were doing emotional uh, recall things. Yeah. If someone cried, there was a great sense of achievement. Mm -hmm. And um, there's two things happened. I went uh, as a, a guest to have lunch with him, and I sat next to his wife, Anna, who um, was, Lee was talking, and Anna said, um, isn't this an extraordinary man? Don't you think he's absolutely brilliant? And I was, yes, yes. And then Al Pacino was at the table, and she said that scene in Dog Day Afternoon where Al was outside the bank shouting, Attica, Attica, all the people surrounded him. And she said, that was one of Lee's exercises. That was the caged animal exercise. And I said, oh, why couldn't he imagine he was outside of a bank? He <laughs> 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 never talked to me. To be fair, and then Pacino said that he, um, uh, who was a, a devotee of uh, Strasbourg, said he did take just what he needed from that. Mm. And he was, you know, he had his own process and his own emotional responses to it. 
But I do find it, yeah. instead of internalising it, it tends to externalise, I find. Mm. But there isn't, surely there isn't just, just one way, and even in mm. one's whole lifetime of doing it. Um, I've, it depends on the role and it depends on the demands. I certainly have had times I, I did a, a production of Master Builder playing Mrs. Solness, and um, she's a woman who really uh, is, is completely in her own terrifying world. She's not really communicating with Solness or with Hilda until she tells about the dolls. And so it was enormously helpful to have this whole interior life that did involve a great deal of notebooks and <laughs> ritualistic music and things, just to be able to come on with that sort of, particularly for me, because I'm a gregarious sort of company person, and to be that solitary, as I felt in order to play her, I needed to be. So I found that fantastically helpful. Um, can't say I do that as Lady Bracknell, actually. No, you know. <laughs> um, it so I think it just depends on, on what, what the demands of the show are. Yeah, really. right. I me, think it's so. merged yeah. a lot more now. I, I, it used to be an American way of acting, British way. I think it's merged a great deal now. I mean, yeah. Ron Eldard and I approach our work in exactly the same way. Um, there's no difference at all. Um, I, I think one of the troubles you come across Unfortunately, acting is a fashionable job. I mean, if you look at past performances, um, mm. you're often, I mean, how many bits of even film? I mean, even someone like Betty Davis, who I thought was a wonderful actress in her day, I look at now and laugh at a bit. And it, is, it, it changes, I mean, you have to be amazing to survive over uh, so I think that we've sort of merged a bit now American and British I don't I, th I don't think you could tell much difference now it, it's fashionable in that it is it is susceptible to fashion yes absolutely yes yeah, yeah. absolutely of its I mean, time always. Yes. I'm beginning to wonder exactly how Shakespeare is going to sound to it now and I know I must keep an open mind I know I'm an old person and I mustn't <laughs> shut my mind off to it but when I hear everyone talking like this and asking me if I'm all right, and there's always that little question at the oh, end yes, of the yes. sentence, I think, are we going to have Shakespeare like this? And I think, yes, probably. It's probably going it's to be to be, be or, or not, not to be. be. be yeah, <laughs> is that the question? <laughs> uh, and, and it will be accepted, and it will be, someone will say that's brilliant, because it will be of its time. We're all of, of the time. And, and I think the best actors have to roll with that, rather. And you ever see that marvellous thing in films? If you look at costume dramas, if you look at just yeah, movies yeah. about the days of ancient Rome, <laughs> what's wonderful is that whenever that film was made, the look of the Romans, which is always basically togas and tunics, <laughs> is exactly of the period in which the film was made. Yeah. If it was the I Claudius in 1934, everybody's rather, you know, sedately down here for the chaps. They've got things that come to here. And then if you go to Steve Reeves in the 60s and all that stuff, it's, it's, like, it's almost like a jockstrap with a fringe on it, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and the, 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 or the sport. And the hairstyles as well. The hairstyles. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, it's bizarre. Yeah. But it, you look at it and think, that was made in 35, 36, around there sometime. 
And even though it's always the same thing, you know, this is the story of ancient Rome. No, it's not. <laughs> it's also why I can't watch the, you know, that thing on the, the, the clip because that was a that was for the stage, a performance for the stage as a theatre. It's not for for tele. I find yeah. and, and that's why that's unbearable to watch because yeah. you just think if this if this was on film, then you do it completely differently. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and that's why these things are lies. They are terrible lies. <laughs> <laughs> we all hate them. Like yeah, 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 we true. all hate them. And we only do it because they say it's our. Archival. It's exactly, for historical yeah, purposes, yeah, yeah. you know. Historical. Yeah. Oh, they say they have to plug the, the show. Well, really, the only really good use of it is, it is if it gets revived in five years' time and people need it, to know what the blocking was so that somebody could do yeah. that. Or how useful. not to do it. Or how not <laughs> to do it. Not to do that. Ixnay. But you've made a film of History Boys in, in the middle of all this. Well, yes, was it, but was we it? did it as a movie. Yeah. And that's completely different. And, um, was that a clip of the we saw of the movie, or was that of? The I don't think that appears in the movie at all. No, that's ah. stage. That that's scene. Stage. That was that's the stage, absolutely, oh, right. and it's the emptiest point of the stage. It will, yes, of course. It's the corridor scene. And was that done? And, uh, <laughs> was that one done specially, but not with an audience? No, that, um, that's one of the archival. This is this is called B-roll. B-roll and shows yes. with there is with an PR audience there. Yes. Yeah, so, but it, it, I mean, as Zoe reported, I mean, I, looked at it and I thought, dear Lord, imagine that being on TV and you always say, well, see what's on C SPAN, you know. <laughs> it's uh, it's got to be more active than this, you know. But it's, it, it, it is awful to look at those. I mean, I, I find it very hard to. Watch stuff anyway. They used to I mean. do those live things in England, didn't they, of West End shows? Yes. Yes. Act one, anyway. We oh, take yeah. you directly to the yeah, Whitehall <laughs> Theatre. <laughs> the excitement is high. The yes. buzz is enormous. Yes. So the curtain is going up. Another <laughs> fast by Brian Ricks. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm terrified very, to show the rest of the clips acting. we have. <laughs> Huge acting. Oh. Um. I'm ter terrified to do this, but should we look another clip or, should, or, or oh will God, I get stoned? Oh, God, are we stoned? looking at me now? You might, would you like to look? We, I we, know, I, we have a little bit of Lady Brackley. I know we're going to go, we're, we're all in for it, I know. <laughs> uh, I can tell it's been... It's been the people set. who watch these like seeing this, so okay, okay. let's look at a little I, bit of Lady Brackley. Let them have their pleasure. <laughs> However, I am quite ready to enter your name, should your answers be what a really affectionate mother requires. Do you smoke? Well, yes, I must admit I smoke. I am glad to hear it. A man should always have an occupation of some kind. <laughs> there are far too many idle men in London as it is. How old are you? Twenty-nine. A very good age to be married at. I have always been of opinion that a man who desires to get married should know either everything or nothing. <laughs> Which do you know? <laughs> I know nothing, Lady Bracknell. I am pleased to hear it. <laughs> I do not approve of anything that tampers with natural ignorance. <laughs> ignorance is like a delicate exotic fruit. Touch it and the bloom is gone. Yeah, the whole theory of modern education is radically unsound. Fortunately, in England at any rate, education produces no effect whatsoever. <laughs> if it did, it would prove a serious danger to the upper classes and probably lead to acts of violence in Grosvenor Square. <laughs>
Actually, and that was filmed at the Amundsen, which is a 2,000-seat uh, house, and we're uh, all acting very big and a little slower because right. it's huge there. So you have to fill the I, space. I could hear you doing it slower than absolutely you would have been doing it if that had been you'd known that you know you were filming it. Well, if I was tell. filming it, yeah. I think I would have done yeah. it quite yeah. differently. Oh yeah. yes. I think actors know and sort of Nicole take it in. Nicole, yeah, Nicole. Right. <laughs> You're getting all your laughs there, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of films and acting in, in films, I believe that the two of you, Zoe and Richard, were in in a couple of films about a couple of uh, kids' books. Oh, yes. Yeah. She only ever wrote five so far. <laughs> and she's worth $8 billion. Uh, You've been in America for a while. I like yeah, how you said that $8 yeah, billion. Dollars. I can say it she's now. I can, I can actually say it. I, I've never seen it. I wouldn't know how many trucks you need to carry. Right. <laughs> but Joanne Rowling has it for right. Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Well, it's great for me because, uh, as Uncle Vernon, uh, I, I'm expected to be horrible to kids, which I like because I am, you know. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, no, I love kids, but I couldn't eat a whole one. <laughs> and uh, they come up to me and they expect me to be nice, you know, and they say, oh, Would you sign this for, for my son? I said, No. <laughs> Oh, odious little brat. She'd be in bed. It's 11.30 at night. You'd be arrested if I, if I had anything to do with it. Take him away. And they say, I'm, so, well, I'm, I'm sorry. And the kids say, oh, it's okay. He's like that. It's okay. Because <laughs> the kids are all cool about me being horrible, you see. So the more horrible I am, the more they go, oh, yeah, cool, fine, okay. But are, are you recognized in strange places? Oh, tell me. Strange places. My elbow. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 I, I do get recognised, but I, I just hated the one, the one that most upset me was being in, in a Tesco supermarket, you know. And it, it was about midnight, I was prowling around, I, I tried to think what I was looking for. But there was this kid and he said, would you come and tell my 12-year-old that you are your Uncle Vernon? I nearly wanted to just bite his head off, you know. <laughs> No, I'm not here for your entertainment. I'm very busy. I'm looking for the pharmacy section. Now get away from me. You should be in bed. Get out of here. <laughs> and the kid was, yeah, fine. And that's basically Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I'm very, I very mixed. No, I don't. I have very clear feelings about autograph hunters. There are some that like to collect autographs, and they're fine. Then there are others for whom it's almost a profession, and they are loathsome, because they take your stuff and then they sell it. And I, I, I really, have, so I don't do photos anymore. So if anybody's watching this, don't ask me for a photo because I don't do them anymore. I used to spend a lot of money, but no more. And, um, and, and, and why, you know, anyway, that, that's, that's all kind of gets in the way of stuff. Yeah, but when it's just stories, with, that's it's fine. It's to do with cash now. That yes, it's most, horrible. Uh, as you say, there are a few who are genuine. Yes, you can sort of tell. But somebody once said to me that television actors, because they're in everybody's living room, yeah. um, when you're in an airport, people will you know, like deal with you like you're an old friend, whereas movie actors, there's, there's a little bit more respect and theater actors, if, you know, do you find that? Or is it, Just is a bit more distance. A little respect? So. Not in New York. No. One of the things I love about New York is nearly every time I come back, I don't know whether it happens to Jonathan and the, the, the others, but they, because I spend more time in London, like Lynn, living here. When I come in, people actually say to me in the street, hi Eileen, nice to see you back. I mean, people I don't know at all. What are you doing? You know, that is genuine. That's a real interest mm. in what's going on on Broadway or off Broadway or wherever. Plus they know who you are. Yes, yes. that's exciting. Yes. <laughs> Steve Martin said, they don't know your name, you're nobody. <laughs> and they'd never know mine. They oh, they will. I think they will, Richard. Oh, they don't. They but will, is, is, there, is there a different community of, of theatre artists in England than there is here? I think it's due with geography. Mm -hmm. Here, 
I love it. You are like a village and it is a theatre community really here. Mm. We allow some <laughs> film stars in, but averagely in TV. <laughs> Nicole Kidman a, a couple years ago. It's yeah. a theatre community. And then you have to choose here. I feel sorry for actors here because they have to choose here or the coast. Are they going to make movies or here? Very few of them manage both too easily. But in Britain, we're all in London, really. I mean, we go to the other places, but if you're going to make a movie, you might go on location, but you get it from London. You don't have to... So it's, so it's easier to move, to move. So it's a nice small group of theatre here, and it really is like a village. Whereas London's somehow bigger and more spread out, but we can all live there. It's, it's also more, actually more fun to work in, in New York because as, I mean, like today, we wouldn't be all doing this in England if we were in shows in London. No. There wouldn't be a there venue are, there are where, there well, there venue. may be, Sorry. but no, I'm not saying there isn't, <laughs> yeah. but I'm saying that the times I've played in London, it's yeah. been very rare to come across another actor. Partly it's transport. Exactly. After the show at night, London is mm -hmm. so spread out. People yeah. often live outside. They're worrying about the car service or the tubes ending or whatever. Here on little tiny Manhattan, and Brooklyn, yeah. um, you can, you know, the chances are anytime you do a run here, you're going to either get to know or re-meet yeah. many of your friends and colleagues and have a really fun time meeting up, seeing how did yours go? Oh, we had a lovely show. And now because, because the internet, there's a huge um, internet industry surrounding theater in New York. I mean, site after site after site. And, yeah. Um, you don't get that at home at all. You, you, you really can't. I mean, you like, barely you just get a don't mention in the newspaper. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. And if so, it may not be what you want to and, read. And no other yes. actors know you're on in anything, and you don't there's know a, they are either. There's a kind of a hunger just here, and there's know. a you know yeah. you can, the, the, which is an enjoyment of that, of going to see other people doing shows and yeah. Yeah. Know, sharing experiences, sharing and and uh, enjoying other people's performances and going to see it. So people turn up at your the most unlikely people turn up in your dressing room and, and, the, and the openly uh, uh, are genuine and nice and interested and yeah. excited by it. Don't get that in England at all. No. It's all very no. subdued and... But it is that we are all spread out. Room, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I have to wouldn't let say. me in, I tried. I mean. It's just that you can't even meet now after the show in London. No, you can't. I mean, here, it's so easy. You walk two blocks or you're driven too much. The line of demarcation. And let me tell you, in London, you are not driven. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe one person is. I don't know. But it, it, it's so hard. I mean, one of my best friends, Sean Phillips, has just moved to North London, and I live in West London. Well, I hardly ever never see her now. Yeah. It's, it's an hour and a quarter for me to get to her. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. So it, it is lovely. We're all together here, and that's, that's really nice. I have to say, though, as, as, a, as a native New Yorker, I'm honored by what you're saying here. One of the things that I've always felt about the sort of difference between British theater and American is, is that there's an, there's a, there seems to be an imagination that is encouraged in the English theater that I don't know that it's encouraged here, just in terms of production, in terms of, of way of, of performing, way of, uh, way of directing, way of conceiving productions. Am I crazy, or, is, or do you feel that? Or? I, I don't know. I haven't done enough over there in recent years. so. Well, I think the National Theatre has made a huge difference. I mean, yeah. It's also, I suppose, maybe it's an influence from we're closer to Europe and to other things that are going on are a little, little bit more experimental still. But certainly Bart, who, who directed Bart, uh, yes. Wicked Singers, is, is a text... He's, he's, he's very text-orientated, very, very much so, but also 
um, loves European theatre and has been a, a scholar of it. I mean, Cantor and um, Pina Bausch and people like that, who is, you know, he would thinks are fantastic. So that's a, an area. And also, you know, went to university in Leeds, God's sakes, I don't know why. <laughs> um, um, and so, and is very political, and, and that's what was quite interesting. So it, he brought all that European ness to, to his productions, I think. With, um, Light in the Piazza, I think, has that kind of feel of it. It's very strong. That's great. Mm. We're now ready to take a little break and hear a few words about the American Theatre Wing. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence and we support education in the theatre. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequaled forum for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Now, let's return to the seminar. <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the institutional theatres that are, that are in, in, in London, specifically the, the National, but I want to start with, it, with a confession that the very first job I ever had in the professional theatre when I was 16 years old was assisting John Dexter who um, taught me a great deal at age 16, I have to, I have to say. But I know that you worked with John. I've worked of with him several times. And, and I adored John Dexter, though I saw him be pretty harsh to many, many people. And I think the reason we got on well was John, John was utterly brilliant, but he was a bully and he would pick on the person who could least take his bullying and therefore then they would become it. My first job for him, I was a student ASM for a pound a week at the Royal Court, and he was just redoing a production of the, Arnold Wesker's The Kitchen. And with Robert Stevens, and um, Jeremy Brett was just taking over from, from Robert Stevens. Anyway, I was the coffee girl, and I was very excited about making coffee the first day and coming out in the break with 25 or 30 coffees with my special Lynn Touch hot milk. Right. And I dropped the entire tray <gasps> in the middle of them going, and he screamed, you stupid. And then he used a word I actually hadn't heard before, but I knew it was really, really bad. <laughs> and I just, I, I wanted to die and I wanted to cry. And out of sheer hysteria, I laughed. <laughs> and from then on, we got on great. And we did, uh, we did a lot of shows. I did several shows at the National with him. I did uh, black comedy on Broadway with him. I did his first film, which was The Virgin Soldiers. And in black comedy, he would sometimes say, you know, suddenly come around and say, call that a performance. And I would say, call yourself a director. And then we'd laugh. And then he'd give me some fantastic notes. And he was, he was brilliant, but I did see him be, be quite quite harsh to people. Funny. I'm sure some others here have worked I with him. I never worked with him. Uh, he but was he, brilliant, I've, I've been around him, and it, 
he, he did pick on someone always. Did you not find that when you worked well, with him? Well, I, I learned the same word, which I hadn't known as yes, well. Yes. Um, but that was, Dizzy came first and it was about another actor. <laughs> ah, yes. So I thought, oh, that's strange. No, I mean, he breathed, I mean, when the show opened, one of the reviewers here said, John Dexter breathes theater the way the rest of us breathe air. And I thought, that, to me, that's part of the sort of tradition in the British theater, that there's kind of a theatricality and, and, and a built-in theatricality, which in places like the National and, and, and the, really the Royal Court. He really was Port. astonishing, the way he would start. I mean, the Wesker plays, like, chips with everything that came here. But are there others like him, in, in, or was he a unique? Because he did run Oh, no, no, not unique. There are lots of, surely, lots of marvelous. They seem to have all disappeared, haven't they? Mm -hmm. What, well, the good so directors are we talking about? directors or the, hard, or the tough ones? directed like that. Mm. Uh, generation. Um, yes, that generation. And then there was a gap. I think. Yeah. And, and, and what's, what's, what's there now? What's the generation now? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, the number Younger. of good directors <laughs> are always only on one hand, really. I mean, mm. uh, yeah. you're lucky if you can fish around for five. Yes, yes I would totally it, agree with that. Right? Yes. And there's some new ones coming up. There's some new, yes. there's some very good ones, uh, young ones, um, and also a couple of uh, women, which is, thank God, it's about time there were some good women on the on that directoral side. Yeah. The other experience I had was Alan Arkin, who's an actor who became a director. So in early years, I had John Dexter, who was, it seemed to me to be about the, the totality, and Alan Arkin, who was, as an actor, so brilliant at giving actors what they need. Do you, do you find that, uh, that's, that which I is rare? I, I, it is rare. I, I know that's is that, that sometimes, I mean, there are directors who cannot direct traffic, and literally they cannot direct traffic, and they get away with it because if it's a good play and it's well cast, and you know, we're not all stupid, you know, if it's a moment we need to take focus, we'll all help each other do that. Um, and there are, there are directors, amazingly, and I come upon them from time to time, who actually don't like actors very much. And when I get one of those, I just remember that until there was electric light, there were no directors. Because the day they got an electric light and they went, excuse me, Richard, you need to move over there because that's where you're lit. Yes. And the, a director was born. And so when, while, I have, <laughs> while I have the greatest respect for an extraordinary, you know, this, the five that yeah. we won't name any names, um, but it's rare to find that combination of wonderful actor-directors who know how little or how much some, some people want their hand held, some people want a million notes, some people function best, left alone a bit, depending on what it is. It's very rare to find somebody who can direct, direct traffic and truly set the actor free. And, and um, so I've done a lot of sort of, you know, remembering of the invention of electricity in my yeah, life. But yes. Peter Hall loves actors, I have to say, so that's, yeah. that's always nice. Really, all, always to do with language, isn't it, as far as the director is concerned, is what language they use that can open, is the key that yeah. opens your yeah, imagination. Exactly. Yeah. And unlocks your imagination. And if they understand your personal use of language as well, that's oh. terribly yes, important. Yes, exactly. But we've all been there with the person who's, uh, I mean, I recall somebody at the RSC at Stratford years ago, whose basic technique used to be to say, good, uh, let's run it again. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd do it and you'd say, good, let's run it again. <laughs> and this needle was never lifted out of it into the next part of it. Good, let's run it again. I think people would be stunned if they knew how often the actor pull, pulls the show through. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I, really. Um, 
I was in a, a quite famous production of Heartbreak House years ago, and I'm sorry to, I'm, I, he was, I don't know whether to say, yes, he's dead, I can <laughs> say it. It was John Schlesinger, who was a wonderful film director, wonderful, knew everything about the camp. He knew nothing about the theater at all. And we used to go in early. We all agreed within a couple of, about a week, two weeks, that it wasn't going to be any good. And we got in early, and we used to rehearse in somebody's dressing room until John came, and then go and do what he, and it went down as one of the great productions. It was totally done yeah. by the actors, rehearsing yeah. on their own. Yeah, really. Yeah. Let's run it again. I was famous for pulling these shows out of the bag, and it was actually actors saving their lives in exactly the same way you've just yeah. described. Well, I don't know if this is a good segue, but shall we take a little clip of, uh, of oh, doubt? Gosh, no. all right. Well, equal, equal pain for everyone. Yes, absolutely. Well, this was happy directing, wasn't it? I don't even. Who? Personally happy directing. directing. Doug Hughes directed yeah. this. At the time? Yes, but it was very difficult because it was the first time that I had ever taken over. I'd never done that before. Oh, right. And it was the first time he'd ever had anybody taking over too. I know Jonathan's just had this. I don't know whether Jack was more used to it. But he with, he, with all the good intentions in the world, when I was finding my way to something, because in his head, he knew Cherry's answer. And so. He want, you know, I knew he was wanting to give me oh. that answer, yeah. uh, which probably uh, wasn't your answer. Right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. it was n it, not at all my answer. <laughs> so, um, because I gather we, I never saw her. I w couldn't do a performance of anything if I'd seen the actor do it. Mm. Um, so, I, I, it, it was very, very different. In the end, I think it was okay, but it was a bump. It was bumpy mm. sometimes. It I, was bumpy. We, you know. I think it's more than okay. Let's take a look at it. You have not the slightest proof of anything. But I have my certainty. And armed with that, I will go to your last parish, and the one before that, if necessary. I will find a parent, Father Flynn. Trust me, I will. A parent who probably doesn't know that you're still working with children. And once I do that, you will be exposed. You may even be attacked, metaphorically or otherwise. You have no right to act on your own. You are a member of a religious order. You have taken vows, obedience being one of them. You answer to us. You have no right to step outside the church. I will step outside the church if that's what needs to be done, though the door should shut behind me. I will do what needs to be done, Father, if it means I'm damned to hell. You should understand that or you will mistake me. Now, did you give Donald Muller wine to drink? Have you never done anything wrong? I have. The moral sin. Yes. And? I confessed it. Did you give Donald Muller wine to drink? Whatever I have done, I have left in the healing hands of my confessor, as have you. We are the same. Oh, we're not the same. A dog that bites is a dog that bites. I don't justify what I do wrong and go on. I admit it, desist, and take my medicine. Did you give Donald Muller wine to drink? No. Mental reservation? No. You lie. Very well then. If you won't leave my office, I will. And once I go, I will not stop. I, I must just tell an extraordinary thing that's happened to me, which has made me feel very strange, uh, odd things, not really to do with acting, but. Um, in trying to get, I'd been to a dialogue coach to try and get 
sort of American-Irish. And I was longing to hear Frank McCourt talk mm. because of him, you know, in Ireland till he was 19, which is what I imagine this woman probably was, and then coming here. And in the middle of rehearsals, I came back from rehearsal one day and just pinged on the television to watch the thing. And there was Frank McCourt being interviewed, and I heard a half an hour interview with him. On sun, uh, Sunday night or Monday night, I can't remember, I did this thing for Alan Bennett, it must have been Monday night, and I had to do a whole lump about the Queen, the current uh, Queen Elizabeth II. And I was just thinking, gosh, if I was at home with her 80th birthday, I could have, I could have heard her, and I can't quite remember the voice. And I didn't go to the party for the History Boys after because I went back to work and I, I'd done, I thought, well, you've done as much as you can now. And I pinged on the television. I got the Queen in the <laughs> middle of a speech. <laughs> so I'm beginning to feel there's some work going on somewhere that I don't know. There's a, there's a strange feeling, a spine chilling thing. Now we know what television is for. I imagine in, in Dirty Rotten Scandals, you, was there a little more freedom to, to, to cre recreate the part, that, or create the part that John Lithgow had created originally? There was, yes, there was freedom to recreate based on, uh, I was very fortunate, I've never done this before, but it was, uh, what I had was, was the foot, prints, as it were, to call the choreography right. to work on. So the first things I did, I learned all the songs in London to save time. I didn't have much time when I got here. Learned all the songs. How and much then time did you have? About time. four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah. Um, and not all day. No way. Because we were all working. Just a few hours in the middle of the day. Ah. Uh, and I worked with the understudies for most of that time. Um, just learning the choreography and learning the songs. And then on top of that, I was allowed to uh, do whatever I wanted. And the people I was working with, uh, eventually when Norbert came in and when Jack O'Brien came in, they were, they were thrilled to get something after two years for them, almost, to get something new. And uh, I find it, in, rather than be inhibiting the whole process of replacing John, it was actually liberating. It was uh, quite a good experience. Well, we do have a clip. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Jonathan Price. Love sneaks in when everything seems quiet. Sets the bed and like a fool you buy it. Your famous self-possessions vanished from your repertoire. This is what can happen when you leave the door ajar and love sneaks in and whispers to you sweetly silly words that change your life completely you're fumbling in the dark the master's now the mark you're out of luck if love sneaks in on you and then that's about the uh, three minutes about that I stand still. Right. right. <laughs> the rest of the time you're running around like an idiot. Yeah. But I, I heard you say in the interview that, that when you when you did Miss Saigon, which was your first musical, that you found your, you, you found the the rigidity of having to to stay in the rhythm of music somehow freeing. It was it was a new discipline, age forty. To, to come to that, it's the first musical I did, and um, when I'd done 
as I did Shakespeare with these guys. But, uh, uh, and, we were going to uh, do a musical. What? We were going to we do We were going to do a musical. Guess which musical we were going to do. What? What? I blew it. Guess what would we be good casting for? Um, Went 30 years ago. Come on, tell oh, me. Laurel and Hardy. Hardy. Oh. oh, I'm so sad oh, you didn't do good. that. That happened. Oh. But, um, Fantastic. Yeah, I, oh. couldn't put, I couldn't put the weight on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, What's that? Oh, God, I don't I regret it. it. I do enjoy that. But having done Shakespeare, where I didn't necessarily, um, uh, you know, keep to the iambic pentameter, I was treated it like a new text, and if it, if it fitted in, it fitted into the, the rhythm, what I wanted to say. And then I started working on the musical, and I was trying to work on it in the same way as I'd worked on any other text, and sort of faltering my way through it and thinking my way through it. And they indulged me for a while until I stopped at one point, because it was all sung, there was no dialogue. Right. And I stopped, when it, and the conductor said, right, that's the last time I'm going to let you stop. From now on, whatever happens, I and the orchestra, we, because I cannot stop a 40-piece orchestra while you think. So it was a great discipline oh, to let it was yeah. think, you know, think, speak, which is what you tell actors all the time. Don't think and then speak. Think yeah, while you're speaking. That's right. And in music, you have to do it. It was wonderful. It was a great release mm. suddenly to know that there was this guy eventually down the line we were able to work a little bit more together and it became a bit more like jazz or something where it was he would listen to what i was doing um but i found it very freeing and meant you could do something for two years which is what i ended up doing that for mm. i also remember nick heitner talking about the, the the tech week because because of the technical advances in the theater today he'd rehearsed you all in the rehearsal studio into the theater and now for a week it was all about computers and yeah. uh, helicopters and lights and, and you know, yeah. sort of, and it, we've sort of gotten to this point and now we have to sit and wait while the, yeah. the technical yeah. gets and then put the show back. Yeah. Mm. But very exciting when they did put everything together. Mm. Oh, I would, think, brilliant. I, I would certainly yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Shakespeare. Um, you obviously, those of you, well, you all, you grew up in, in, in England, right? Or did you grow up? I grew up in England, but yes, you're basically. Amer American boy. Yes. But, I mean, obviously Shakespeare is very, still important in the training and, and the, and the theatre? Well, I think so. Uh, yes, training, yes. but not, not in schools. Really? No. Not in schools. Less and less. Really? I didn't yes. know that. It's removed yeah. from some syllabuses. Is it? Scary. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Be um, because people think it's... Too because difficult. it's too <laughs> difficult, <laughs> archaic, nobody, nobody's allowed to teach <clears throat> it anymore. I think that's know. really it. Yes, it's a lack of skill in I teaching. I think it's a lack of skill. Yeah. But the whole theatre thing is in such trouble in England. I mean, uh, when I was a student, it was over 30 years ago, this, you know, it's like 150 years experience, at least uh, right here, uh, of, of all that stuff. And in those days, there were virtually every town, over 70,000 mm. people had a rep theatre. And uh, I mean, the money was terrible, but there was a job there. And, um, and all the cities had two or three theatres. And of course, London was chock-a-block. And now, 30 years down the pike, all of those small theatres are pretty well gone. Uh, there are about 12, 15 regional theatres now. And uh, the, the, the Royal Shakespeare Company is in serious trouble, has been through a terrible mm. lacuna in its, its history. Uh, a terrible gap there. And the National Theatre is on a big 
role at the moment because Nick Heitner has done fantastic things. Um, but it's, it's significant by its rareness. You know, it's not like it, this is happening everywhere. Everywhere is in decline. And uh, there's a lot of denial about this, but in fact it's true. The other thing is it, that's bizarre, as I propose students, is that when I was a student, there were 12, count them, 12 recognized drama schools pumping out three or 400 kids a year into the business. Today, if you look at the Contacts professional magazine with everybody in the business names and addresses and numbers, there are 17 pages of drama schools pushing out upwards of 6,000 kids a year. But there's only 400 jobs. So and the majority of those, are they're no longer, uh, it's not necessarily training you for the profession. Yeah. It's for a, a degree, it's all part of... Mm -hmm. Just to get a grant, you have to, right? Yeah, you have to have it, yeah. And why? Uh, I mean, I've, I feel so fortunate because I, I grew up, a great deal of my childhood was at Stratford-on-Avon because my my mum and my dad played there so often and I had a best friend there whose father was the manager, so even if it was a season that they weren't there, nice. I just grew up going to Shakespeare. The first play I ever saw was my dad as Hamlet when I was four. Oh, nice. You just went to Shakespeare, so I... I uh, it, it, there was never a... Um, a barrier, perhaps, because I was so fortunate to be, you know, Shakespearean actor's child, uh, that there wasn't a barrier between us and the language, because that was part of my of my growing up. And and indeed, I think in in my childhood, as you say, it's changed now. But um, most people, you know, they went to their Shakespeare, didn't they? Yeah. Like I first met Eileen. At yes, yes, we played tennis, and I met we Zoe. Did. She doesn't remember when she was two, and um, <laughs> because her father was playing Iago. Yes. And my then husband was understudying him. And I was um, ten. <laughs> you were ten. Ten. You seemed to be tiny. And you were she crawling. Was very yes. <laughs> and you were only crawling. Ten then. Gosh, you were tiny. <laughs> I remember she was a really tiny little girl. But, but I can remember your father saying to me, to me, and I was a walk-on in the company, only just in the company. I can remember him, the wonderful openness of him, um, saying, look, I don't understand. You talk about these, not me, so Britain talk about these iambic pentameters. I've, I've, you know, he was looking at a half line. And I thought, and I said, no, but you finish it on the next bit. And he said, oh, thank you. And I, I, he was probably just being nice to me, but I, mm. he was so open to everybody. This was one of the first people we'd had at Stratford who talked today. I mean, your father was wonderful, but he was very much separate. Oh, he was yes. a very shy man anyway. Yes. And, and, and Sam was one of the first people who, who really talk to him as well. And he would say, I, d I don't know, I haven't been brought up in the Shakespeare, tell me, to almost anybody. I don't understand where he got this obsession for the Globe then. <laughs> did you know well, then he did, I think he then did get a, a massive no, obsession. from a very early um, age. I think it was just believe. The Globe is fantastic. I mean, what, what, the legacy that your dad began and that, that yeah, we should continued talk about that on. I mean, bit. it's extraordinary to, I've seen a lot of productions at the Globe and uh, Shakespeare's Globe. Um, of course, and current. some foreign productions as well. Mm. We saw an extraordinary, Argentinian street theatre Romeo and Juliet, and it was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Just it, and it, just to go in there, and it's so vibrant and it's so full, and that's a fantastic thing. And honestly, uh, since we've talked about American English theatre, 
I don't think an English person could ever have got the globe built. It was, no. it, it had to be. Yes, I agree. And it was under such a terrible British opposition. I mean, even yes. I. Oh, fantastic. I thought it was a, an anathema and I thought it was, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was embarrassed by it. When well, he was trying to when start, he was trying, when he was trying to do trying, it, trying to get it done, because nobody really wanted to know, no, no, no sort of, and he, I think he felt very American <laughs> then and very ostracised because uh, he was treated, it was treated like it was going to be a Disney, a Disney thing, yeah, yeah. and um, and I was slightly embarrassed because I thought, well, if all my friends think he's, you know, I just I was a. Uh, Shy about it, and um, then he, then of course, he, it took him 27 years to build the thing. But his whole life, it's, it's strange, wasn't it? I mean, his whole life projected this idea because he started out. He told me once in um, World's Fair, was it Chicago, yes, New York? Yes. And he was a kid, and he was took part in like a dozen cut-down versions of Shakespeare and a mock-up of Shakespeare's Globe. So he had a real feel for it, and he had the thing of the people coming in and, you know, being in the pit and all of that stuff. So he had it in his mind in a way that no English actor had it at all. So he came to England and uh, was able to work here, and then he, he, he just like a tourist went down to the South Bank one day and said, so where is Shakespeare's Globe? Where was it at? And nobody knew. And he prowled around until on a dirty, you know, um, soot-stained brick wall, there was a little plaque on the side of a brewery. And on this plaque it said, it is believed that this is the site of Shakespeare's Theatre the Globe. And even that vanished. The, 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 they tore that, that, fact, that place down. The brewery was that redevelopment, you know. And uh, the, not even the plaque was there anymore. And he, so he got the bee in his bonnet. There should be something. Probably just a nice, a nice, you know, kind of uh, um, thing about Chinese theatre plaque, you know, in, in the sidewalk might have done. If they'd have done that, he'd have probably walked away and said, oh, okay, that's where it is. <laughs> Forgotten about it. Oh, how, how much do you think that the uh, institutions like the ROC, especially the ROC, has contributed to the decline of the appreciation of Shakespeare? I feel it be that it answered that question. The, the, the set, there was a sense of the RSC that they every year had to do yes. Shakespeare. Yes, they have it. They used to have they a chance to, to do the whole repeat. canon. They have to find to churn up yet another reason for doing that. That's play what gets yet me. Again. Yeah. yeah. And um, I felt it's that's kind of run its course. Yeah. I don't know. I felt like that when when I was. I think one changes in age. I, I think that I did think at one time. When I was there, oh, I wish nobody would do Shakespeare for 10 years. I'm, you know, yes. sick to death of it. Let's just stop it all. But now I'm really grateful that it's, and I'm terribly sad here it's been taken Well, they did kind of, it, they did stop it all for a bit because nobody was going. Yes. <laughs> and, no, and productions weren't coming to London. So but there I was think a, it was a lull. And then a, then a hunger began and people started looking for other places. Uh. Like in the tobacco factory in Bristol. Right. Oh, yes. And, uh, innovative production. Innovative production. People who found a true, you know, true reason to do it, other than it's on the school syllabus. The students are studying Macbeth this year, so we've got to do a production of Macbeth, and they push in 
a thousand school kids to watch it. And, uh, and they, didn't, you know, they didn't want to, no. But I just must say, you said innovative. No, it was the, I've been down to the tobacco factory, and it's quite the reverse. What was happening was the RSC were trying to be too innovative. Yeah. And when to I went text. to the tobacco factory, and you suddenly get the play uh, just spoken yeah. by a new cast, you, you think, oh, this is wonderful. No sets. Yeah. Yeah nothing and then you suddenly thought it was wonderful again because I think they'd been over you see now that's innovative yes there came a point when they'd sit around in a, in a production meeting and say we have to do six titles next year that's the season what on earth can we do to make them interesting? Yes, yes. yes. And it, it drives me absolutely wild because you don't have to do anything to no. these places to make them interesting what they mean, they've not f finished their own thought, which is, what on earth can we do to make these things interesting to us? First thing to do is get yourself out of that job and put somebody else in that hasn't done it before, right. and just let's hear yeah. the damn play, because the play does the work. And that's, that's where it went wrong. And it was all about the building. And it, theater is absolutely nothing to do with buildings. I mean, you take a bunch of actors and a text, that's it. Mickey Rooney said it, and we could do the show right here. <laughs> yes, yes. But the point is, you can. It, that, yeah. None of that yeah. matters. Yes. And they've lost track of that. And I think that, that the problem is, uh, all right, I'll, I'll say that. I, I don't know, you, you're always reserved in England because it gets political and backstabbing happens and all that stuff. <laughs> but I think, the prob I think the problem with the company was, it, it, was that they lost track of the fact that when we were there, me and Johnny and Zoe, particularly it was the last time it was kind of hot in the 70s, it was hot because there was a hot bunch of people and it was the company, that they, we were the company, not the, not the theatre, the bunch of actors and directors that were there and, and artists and designers and everybody was very pushy. I remember Richard on the stage door used to say, you know, not everybody likes this company because it's very aggressive <laughs> and the people are all, you know, they, 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 they'll, they'll tread on each other's toes and together. And I said, Richard, that's ambition, that's drive, that's, you know, that's actually very exciting on stage because it's dangerous and the audiences may not know what it is, but I'll bet you they like what they see. And of course they did. And that, that was allowed to go, and the company was allowed to break up and, and, dis and, and, and disperse, but it was never rebuilt or re-established. And I think that's what's happened all across the board at were, home. Were you all put together sort of by accident? Was it yeah. just a happenstance yeah. that you were all there? It was so a happenstance, a good one, mind. Yeah, but there could be another one. In yeah. Theory. Yes, of course there could. Yeah. But the of company course. is the people. It's nothing to do with the fabric of the building. Yeah. Or even, yeah, well, I would like to say that people got good, some good salary. You see, the funny thing is, <laughs> we always talk about uh, the German uh, theatre, where mm, every town, say, the size of, in respect of importance in the country, like if, if you imagine Chicago, Philadelphia, uh, Atlanta, all of them in Germany, all of their equivalents, have um, a, a branch of the German National Theatre funded hugely uh, at the level, like in our part of the world, the way that the opera is funded, which is to say quite lavishly. And I've heard stories of German actors in the German National Theatre who wouldn't do movie jobs because they get paid less than they get in the theatre, right? <laughs> yeah, so true. you've got continuity there, but I, I don't hear about German actors taking the international world by storm. What's wrong with Goethe, Schiller? All them, you know, let's bring it on, let's have a look, because there's an international audience that is prepared to sit still for that stuff, uh, just as there is for an audience for Shakespeare. 
it's, it's about the quality of the work and as long as the workers can work you see right now all that you can afford with subsidized theater is leading actors who will come in off the back of some movie work so they're not worried about meeting overhead for the next three months uh, and, and baby actors who are straight out of college who, who will work for tons or ten cents whatever they'll work for nothing and that's what you've got and in the middle the people who are the trained skilled principal actors they've all been like like daffodils uh, uh, like dandelion seeds they will just parachute it out and gone but, but you certainly talk about a, a, a feeling of community and family and I want to ask I know that that you have certainly worked with family members mm. and, and you, you appeared opposite your life partner in, in yeah. well, when I worked what? with all her family members <laughs> yeah. we, did, we did something together long time does it allow you to speak shorthand or is it terrifying to be with somebody who you know that well in oh, a rehearsal in, period in the case of my I mean I very recently worked with Vanessa and Natasha in Shanghai in the in the White Countess and it was kind of fabulous actually I mean a lot of what was fabulous was was <laughs> it was so sort of scary being in Shanghai that going back to the Hilton was what was fabulous but uh, <laughs> being being on the set was also I think it does give you a certain shorthand when Vanessa and I and our niece Corinne's daughter Gemma did Three Sisters some years ago in London what we didn't have to work at was being relations you know I mean so often a lot of what our work is say if you're playing three sisters is how can we you know say Eileen me Zoe all do three sisters we've all got to kind of work on being sisters well, we didn't have to work on any of that because we we, we, we yeah and, and a certain sort of, dis, sort of dis, uh, certain disrespect that one sometimes has for one's family too so that I think, that's I think it made for a very interesting yeah. um, I mean, in, in the scene, the, the scene where there's the fire and, and, and Marsha finally tells her sisters how she's in love. Of course, this was a very fabulous and extraordinary production by Robert Storer from the Republic of Georgia. But uh, Vanessa, as Olga, slapped me when I started going on about Vershinin. And I don't know if we'd have come to that if we hadn't actually been sisters. You know, she was so <laughs> pissed off that Marsha was in love <laughs> that she just slapped me. And sometimes a little too hard, but uh, <laughs> anyway, it was, a, I mean, theatrically, it was fantastic it, because usually it's all a moony juni, you know, oh, my sisters, I'm in love. Who oh, are you? How lovely. Um, but when you're real sisters, it's, gee, God, shut up about this love thing. I'm, I haven't got anybody to be in love with. And That's did, wonderful. did you cut her hair off? In the, in, in I cut her hair off in Baby Jane. She was very, very, very good about that. I gave her the most terrible haircut with two cameras rolling, and she was so game about it. Um, that actually scared me much more. <laughs> what was it like in, in the goat in, in England? Was Working it? with Kate. Um, well, it was, uh, I, 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 there's a lot of it I don't even think about, so, so much of it was a, a given between us, especially <laughs> me and goats. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was an extraordinary time. It was not just Kate, but the, um, the other two uh, members of the cast I was working with. It was. Uh, it was one of the best working times I've ever had. It was and it was fantastic. I saw them. Yes, it was good. My danger is working with people I know too well. That's the because then I just laugh. That's <laughs> oh, the other thing. My best friend Nick Prevo played uh, Pickering in My Fair Lady with me, and we could not. If we caught each other, by the this is difficult. Honestly, as ourselves. If I looked at Nick and he looked at me, I'm afraid we were 
gone. Yeah. <laughs> the, and they, all the absurdity of theatre would come home. What the hell are we doing? Right. When you <laughs> learn that trick of staring intensely at the point just in between the person's oh, yeah. eyes, <laughs> so you don't quite catch the true look and you can carry on. You know, there otherwise. was a night, the opening of the play, there's two and a quarter thousand people sitting in Drury Lane and they assumed that I always sang Why Can't the English with this vibrato oh. <laughs> because I was laughing at Nick's <laughs> moustache <laughs> laugh. <laughs> so it was coming out as Why Can't the Children, how to speak? <laughs> Went on for the whole song. Oh dear. Did you ever work with your father? No. God, I would have been terrified. Terrified. I mean, he's I worked with strong. your father once. Did you? Very briefly. And I met him. He, he's very charming. Came very to say charming. hello to me. He just finished slashing his wrists in a film, <laughs> and he was covered in blood. And he said, "Jonathan, Sam Wanamaker." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Charming man. <laughs> Blood everywhere. <laughs> take off to him. You, you had said earlier that, that he, he, he moved to London permanently in, during the blacklist period. Well, yes, it was a, he knew he was going to be subpoenaed to go before the committee and he'd been warned. And he happened to have a job that uh, had come up in England, a film. And so he took the job and then my mother, who was a radio soap star at the time, uh, put us all, put the two of us onto the boat and we left on the Queen Mary. They thought that it would be over in six months and that we'd be back. And their furniture was in storage in Connecticut, I think. And then we didn't get back. And then his passport, his passport ran out at a certain time. I think it was in the 50s. It must have been, well, we came in the 50s, so it was about 52, I think we came over, or 51. Um, and his passport ran out, and he applied for a new passport at the American Embassy, and it was, it was refused because of his uh, un-American activities, so-called. Uh, and uh, <coughs> he'd been a member of the Socialist Party, some party, but, uh, for two minutes, I think. Uh, so he was, um, it was, so he was stateless, passportless, as, as was my mother. So they were, I don't think it was until, for about 12 years until he went back to, came back here mm. and did his first film. Taurus Bulba, I think it was. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> right. Interesting little slice of a period of our history, and that's the man who who, who yes. bludgeoned the But I think the, maybe that's globe. maybe it was a good thing. I mean, his movie career was completely ruined by by the McCarthyism, but maybe it was a. I mean, he started Liverpool, the Liverpool Shakespeare's yeah. and little Shakespeare theatre there, and that was the first repertory, so-called repertory theatre in um, that was open seventeen hours a day. Uh, it had a coffee bar and a restaurant and an art gallery and, and a da da da. So it was maybe something was good came out of it yeah. in a way. And I, you know, I got to meet my, uh, I got to meet yeah, my husband, and I also got to work with such nice people. And you never frittered away. So you didn't just sort of go down in the dumps after a terrible blow like that must have been with yeah. the McCarthy thing. You actually got out and went out and did stuff, you know, and had a life, and uh, it produced all this. It was an American history. energy, though, that came to England. I yeah. mean, that was, it was... Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're yeah. 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 on can do That's guy. the handy exchange, mm. that energy. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then a bit of, hang on a minute. That's right. It's <laughs> yeah. handy here. Yeah. Speaking of sort of doing it, I know that at least two of you have written plays. Um, uh, and 
did, did you come to that to do something to write a good part for yourself or did you or did you I did uh, my first one I did write to get write myself a job Shakespeare for my father um, I, I'd reached at that point that we all go through from time to time where suddenly it appeared I dropped off the face of the earth and so I I'd always been kind of making excuses to myself, like if I was Willie Russell, I'd write a Shirley Valentine. Mm -hmm. And I originally wrote it so that I would go to colleges and I did a 27 cities, six week tour, one nighters, and I'd go and I'd teach a class at you know, whatever university, whatever. And about halfway through, um, I was, it was my 50th birthday and I was in Sarasota, Florida. And about halfway through the first act, there was a man in the front row, because I broke the fourth wall a lot, um, who started sort of laughing, or his body kept killing over, and I kept thinking, that's probably a dentist who looks like Jose Quintero. And in the second act, Jose Quintero at that point had had, had throat cancer, and he had a little, um, one of those oh, microphone yeah. things, and so he you know, couldn't speak without the aid of it. Yeah. And in the second act, when I think I was doing my scene where I was Maggie Smith, Noel Card, and Edith Evans at the same time, <laughs> Uh, he literally keeled off his chair making these noises and I went, oh my God, it is Jose Quintero. And he came back with a little microphone saying, the world must see this, the world must see this. And that sort of changed it suddenly from being a job to just like give myself a job into what it became. And then I realized how wonderful it was to write your own work and how freeing that was. And I have a new play actually that's um, um, going to be on in the fall. So. Yeah, that's one based on, on your grandmother? Well, it very, or? very, not even really, really based on the fact that I found that her, her grave stone in England, in Chiswick, had all the dates and her name were washed off by the acid rain, and that got me thinking, what happens to people? What happens to us when we die if we haven't done something to leave a mark? Yeah. So I've sort of invented um, speculative fiction, you could call it. <laughs> Huh. And you, you, you were a play that... that you I don't were... call myself a playwright, I hasten to say that. I'm, an, I'm a jolly good adapter. Um, but I, uh, I, I don't... And that was started literally because I simply hate doing poetry evenings. I hate mm -hmm. getting up and reading poetry. And you're often asked as an actor, I don't know how many, you know, to do things for charity. Will you get up and do that? And I thought, I wish I just had an evening that I could say, look, I'll do this. And so I found the letters of Vita Virginia, and, and I thought, well, that'll make an evening for two women, and uh, I, that'll probably do for something. And, that, and then I did it, like, a bit like Lynn. I, I did it thinking that'll do for that Sunday evening. And then people be, just loved it. So I thought, oh, hang on, maybe we could turn this into an evening. And then, you know, the Minerva at Chichester offered me their studio to try it out. Then people offer you things. And then it, like, it, it just grew and grew. And now we're doing a movie of it. And the sad thing is, everyone's too old for it. <laughs> you and Vanessa were Everyone who's ever played it, we're all too old. Um, well, you, you and Vanessa Redgrave were, were extraordinary. You were fantastic. Well, it, it was huge fun to do, a huge fun to do. But I'm, uh, I adapt. I couldn't possibly sit down. I tried. <laughs> I know I can't do it. Um, <laughs> something come into my mind and I write a play. I can't do that. That isn't a, a gift of mine. And Jonathan, you, you ran the, 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 the company in Liverpool that you started with for briefly, yes? I did, yeah. For, um, uh, I'd worked there for two years and... Um, Alan Dosser, the director, was taking a sabbatical and they wanted somebody to go in and he'd taken most of the company with him to do this Beatles show in London. Yeah. Mm. So I went back and formed a company and ran it for about six or seven months. Do you yearn to do it again? 
Uh, it made me never, ever want to direct again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm coming around to it again now. Um, that I, uh, and I was possibly starting working with students. I, what we were saying about earlier, there was a gap. There's a gap in directors. And uh, I think my uh, contemporaries, we have so much to give the younger actors now. When I go to drama schools and I talk to them, and it's, uh, their jaws drop when I describe what we were, what we did and what we were capable of doing when we started out as young actors. Mm. Um, but I had a great company in Liverpool. Um, uh, Julie Walters God. gave her a first job. Yeah. Mm. Took her off the streets. <laughs> Do any of the rest of you teach? Is that no, I could never teach. I'm the worst no. teacher in the world. But you I really, really am so bad. From time to time. I'm qualified, yeah. but I can't be paid enough. <laughs> I can so. give tips, but I can't. You know. <laughs> I can give tips. Yeah, I tips. You give very good tips. Like how to get through an audition. <clears throat> but um, do people still actually audition? Have to do an audition? Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. They do yeah. still. Oh, yes, more than Not ever. just reading. I had a dresser in London once and she threw a party and I said, Darling, how lovely. What's the occasion? Is it a birthday? And she said, No, my flatmate's got an audition. Oh, that's a darling story. Oh. Party about an audition. Oh. For an audition. For an audition. She's got an audition, let's have a party. It's just, um, I never, ever, ever, ever got a part. I used to go to an audition, I used to do it as well as I possibly could, and I saw his next one, on, on, yeah. on. Uh, and I auditioned for Peter Hall one day, <laughs> and he was in some kind of state, because I think a wife had just left him. <laughs> and, um, I had had to wait a long time for him, and uh, I, I started to speak, but it goes straight through. And somebody started hoovering behind, and, and I just thought, this is all too much, I can't go on. And I stopped and said, Look, I, can't, I can't go on through the hoover. And suddenly he came down to the front and really looked at me and said, yes, you're quite right. And I realized that at last I'd got somebody's attention. You know, that they were, and so I always tell drama students when you're auditioning, pretend to hear something or just, even if you say, I'm sorry, do you mind if I start again? All the, if you're a woman, all the men will feel sorry for you. <laughs> the the, the title easy. of your biography now. Yes. <laughs> Through the Hoover. <laughs> never, never would that be written, actually. Yeah. I auditioned for my company, Bill Nye, who uh, did exactly that. There you are. Who started the speech, and, and Bill is still using that technique. Yes, <laughs> it's a great technique. To this day. Um, but he was so intriguing. He said, starting, uh, 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 sorry, can I start, uh, sorry, um, <laughs> oh, sorry, can I just, and I thought, this guy's either a genius or exactly. he's rubbish. <laughs> so anyway, I gave him the job. <laughs> and he's good. Now, love. I'm very it's a trick that it works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, with genius, um, I, we've come to the end. Thank you all very much Thank for you. being here. This has been a great pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. This has been the American Theatre Wing Seminar coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Thank you very much for being here.